Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's series in the book of Hebrews called Our Superior and Sympathetic High Priest. Here's his first teaching in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God has spoken to us. Would you stand for the reading of the word of, of the word of God if you can with us? I want to welcome everybody who's watching via live stream. This is Hebrews 1.1. It reads this way, God, I'm reading from the New American Standard. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, the Son, is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he, that is Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Father, majesty is a beautiful word to represent these first three verses in this book. Indeed, your whole word is majestic because it comes from you. Tonight, may we bask in the majesty of this wonderful book of Hebrews. Give us wisdom, understanding, and a heart to respond in a way that would please our King, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, all God's people said. Amen. You can have a seat. So the incredible book of Hebrews, you'll notice, opens with God. Um, unlike many of the what's called epistles or the letters of the New Testament, which often included the identification of the author, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the recipients of the letter, uh, none of that is here. Uh, it, gets, it goes right to the point, right to the... Uh, I think there's a sense of urgency, actually, in these first three verses, not like there isn't in other letters that have a standard opening, but I will say there's a very pastoral heart behind this letter. There is a sense of urgency, and I'll explain why. I will tell you that there's a lot that's been written about the book of Hebrews and the potential author of the book, but that is not resolved, and we just don't know because we don't have the name. So anything that we would say about who the author may be is conjecture. You might have a majority of scholars leaning towards Paul. Others might say it was Apollos or somebody else, but we just don't know. So I'm just going to leave that. I will tell you that as we do a little bit of an introduction, the date of the book lands somewhere in the mid-60s A.D., before the temple fell in Jerusalem in 70 A.D., so that there is agreement on that, and there's agreement among scholars as to the recipients of the letter. That would be a group of early Jewish Christians. That's why the book is called Hebrews. It's not because Hebrews coffee, although I know you might enjoy coffee, but it is actually about the recipients of the letter. The target audience, if you will, in the first century was a group of beleaguered, beat-up first century Christian Jews, most likely who received the letter living in Rome. 
The consensus of scholarship would say that they had never met Jesus personally, but they had become believers shortly after the events of the Passion or somewhere within, say, the, you know, a decade or two after the events of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension. They had believed on him. They had trusted in him. They had left Judaism or had seen Christ as the fulfillment of the Torah, but now they were facing persecution. One of the Roman emperors in AD 49 kicked a bunch of Christians out of different areas, or Jews out of different areas, I should say. I think if memory serves, it was Claudius. And uh, there, was, there was a great persecution that happened. And there was also something else coming at these early Jewish believers, and that is they were getting persecution probably from Rome to some degree and from the Jewish leadership who had not trusted in Christ. Because now they were seen as outcasts in the temple and the synagogue and probably in familial and even business relationships. So it was very difficult to navigate a change of life from being a committed Jew with all you know the ceremonies and diet and days of worship and all that that went with that. And now to say, I have trusted Christ as the fulfillment of all of that. And there were people who did not look kindly on that. And a lot of them were in uh, very powerful positions, like, you know, head rabbis and chief priests and the like. And so it would be difficult as a Jewish person to deal with this. In fact, if you look ahead in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, just for a second, you'll get a snapshot of what some of them were going through. Hebrews 10, 32 says, but remember... 10.32, the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, Hebrews 10.33, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Now you get a little bit of a taste of what they were going through. And because of the pressure that these early Christians were facing, and, and the parallel example in a contemporary sense might be, you're a Christian in China, you're a Christian in Iran, something like that. You open your heart to Christ and now all of a sudden, not only does the society reject you largely, but your family may as well. Your religious heritage, etc. You kind of get the idea of how difficult this would be. In fact, uh, there's evidence in the same chapter, in chapter 10, if you go back to verse 23, the writer, in a pastoral way, encouraging, exhorting, says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And they indeed were wavering, for he who promised is faithful, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, 1025, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but, in, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Some had begun to forsake fellowship because of the threat to an open public testimony to Christ. And so it became harder and harder for this group of early Christian Jews to openly profess Christ without the threat of something happening. If you flip over to chapter 12, it would appear that nobody had died yet, 
but there was pressure. If you look at 12.3, it says, Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Christ went through this. He promised that his followers would as well. So that you not, will not grow weary and lose heart. And they were on the verge of doing both. Notice, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. That may well uh, give us the idea that while persecution was ramping up, uh, people had not yet been killed for their faith, but there was at least a very real threat. Some of you have heard, if you go back to chapter 1, that at this time there were some fires in Rome And Nero, uh, some historians believe that Nero was the cause of the fires. We don't know for sure, but may well be. And that he blamed the Christians for it. And that's around the time frame of the writing of the book of Hebrews. Therefore, there could be kind of a a rippling effect from Nero's, you know, uh, blame of the Christians and his persecution of the church and what was happening to these early believers. So you can see that they were facing some very real dilemmas. Uh, we, we can decry a lot happening in our country right now, but I mentioned what happened you know, in the football game and how people began to pray and people were openly professing Christ. And so while our country has moved away and the percentages are dropping in terms of committed you know, professing believers, we have not yet tipped the other way, at least I hope. And so there's hope in America, but would to God that we would turn back to the Lord while there's yet time, amen? While it doesn't get too bad. And so in the opening chapters, as we kind of introduce the book, and we think about the struggles of these early believers and maybe even you know, of modern believers, maybe struggles that you yourself are going through, chapters 1 through 7 the writer is arguing the big theme for the superiority of Christ to anything or anyone else. In fact, we have called the overall theme of this book the superiority, our superior and sympathetic high priest. And you're going to see two big things that I want you to be thinking about. Jesus is superior to everything else, whether it's Moses, Joshua, angels, other high priests, the law, you name it. Jesus is superior, and yet he is sympathetic. He, in chapter 2 and 4, the writer will celebrate our empathetic and sympathetic high priest. Though he is creator and sustainer of the universe, he has sympathy for us. Why? Well, number one, because God is compassionate, but number two, because he became one of us. And he was in all points tested or tempted as us, yet without sin. So we can come to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4, and we can come boldly in time of need and know that he will pour out what I will call dispensing grace. He will stabilize us in the storms of life. And so the Hebrew Christians are going to Uh, hear this letter and when they assembled probably not much more than uh, what is in this room maybe less some scholars say when the letter was originally read it might have been read to 20 to 25 uh, Jewish Christians in Rome so don't don't think that the numbers were some mega church in Rome where you know they had huge numbers I don't think that was the case at all 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. If you listen to Walk in Truth on a regular basis, we could use your help by becoming a monthly financial partner. Our mission on Walk in Truth is to help people like you become better equipped with God's Word to address today's issues, trends, and culture. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast, and with other monthly expenses. What we really need is more monthly partners so the program will be sustained in the months and maybe even years to come. Our ultimate goal is to eventually become 100% listener supported and then have the ability to broadcast on more radio stations to reach more people like you. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner, giving $10 to $20 a month. You can give online today at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH or visit walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. Probably not much more than uh, what is in this room, maybe less. Some scholars say when the letter was originally read, it might have been read to 20 to 25 uh, Jewish Christians in Rome. So don't, don't think that the numbers were some mega church in Rome where, you know, they had huge numbers. I don't think that was the case at all. So our superior and sympathetic high priest. Uh, let me just read something from our notes, from my notes. It says, um, it's not that these things that Christ is superior to were wrong in their time and place, like Moses or Joshua or Aaron, but they have now been surpassed or superseded by Christ whether prophets, angels, great leaders, etc. Each was a voice from Israel's past that needed to be heard, but was woefully inadequate to be followed alone. The ultimate revelation of God, to whom all these other voices and quotes were pointing, is Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate revelation of God, and he eclipses them all. The Hebrew Christians must not slip back to lesser things. Their temptation... Well, with all this pressure, let's just go back to the temple. Let's go back to what we know. Let's go back to the sacrificial system, but the sacrificial system has been fulfilled. And the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. So the writer says in in chapter 10, which we will get to in 2024, most likely, he says, if you go back to that, essentially, there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sin. Why? Because the blood of bulls and goats has been fulfilled in the person of Christ. And if you go back to the shadow, you will find no efficacy in that substitute because Christ has fulfilled that. Everybody understand? If we try to go back to works righteousness or anything else, it's not going to work. And we will find ourselves without the forgiveness that we so desperately need. We need Christ. He is the gospel. So don't go back to lesser things. Let me just say a word of encouragement and exhortation to all of us, to myself. A temptation to go back to lesser things always exists. Wouldn't it be easier if I just did this? Wouldn't it be easier if I just acquiesced? If I just maybe went back to my old life, if I just went back to the old ways, if I just went back to this old system. But those things can never produce. They, can, they cannot deliver, nor they, can they produce the life and the power that we all desire. Amen? Amen? And yet, the temptation is very much there. People pressure is a very real thing. Peer pressure. What people think of me, say about me, 
you know, how they treat me. And so these early believers, I think we can all resonate with them and maybe we can see our situation in contrast to them as, you know, probably for most of us a lot better. I mean, we're we're not dealing with the same hard circumstances most of us as they were. So the... The word that opens the letter to the Hebrews, I should say, the one that opens the letter, his name is God. And almost like Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Well, the writer of Hebrews right to it. He says, God, after he spoke. Our God has spoken. Amen? He has spoken. God has spoken to us. Now, let me just say, In a general sense, when you think about God speaking, and this is what a lot of people wonder about, does if there is a God, somebody might say, does he speak? Does he speak today? Or how has he spoken? The Hebrew Christians might be saying, well, where is he? Where is he in the trial, in the looming persecution, in in the fact that we're being mistreated? Is he speaking today? Well, God... After he spoke, the opening tells us that God is a God who speaks. He has spoken through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. That's Psalm 19. And Paul picked that up in Romans 1 and said that God's invisible attributes have been clearly seen by what has been made so that God is, that I should say, that man, God has made it clear that man is without excuse. Just by the physical creation, God's attributes are clearly seen, linking it with Psalm 19. They speak to man, listen, day after day, night after night. Mankind is bombarded with the reality of the existence of God just by the divine design of the cosmos. Okay? God has spoken in that sense. He's spoken through the world that he made. And we might say worlds because we know how incredibly vast the universe is. In fact, all scientists, I think, without uh, exception, uh, say it's expanding. The universe is an expanding organism, if you will. We haven't begun to even tap what's out there. So he's spoken through the world and through his word. And that's where the the writer is going in the early verses in Hebrews. We have a whole Bible here. And God spoke. He spoke in days. He spoke long ago to a couple of different groups here in verse 1. The fathers. And then it says in the prophets. And when you think of the fathers, you can think of the fathers of the uh, nation of Israel. You can think of Abraham. God appeared to Abraham. What did he tell him? him, Told him, leave your country, go. I'm going to show you a land. I'm going to take you to a a land, the land of promise. He promised him a son from his own body. God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to Isaac. God spoke to Jacob. Those are considered the fathers, if you will. Romans 9.5 confirms that. These are the Jewish fathers, the fathers of the Jewish nation. He also spoke through the prophets. Just backing up for a second and thinking about the ways that God has spoken. We've talked about the world. The world speaks day and night, morning and evening, if you will. God has not been quiet. 
But he also has spoken to the fathers and the prophets and through the prophets. Think about Abraham and Sarah. Think about Jacob wrestling with God. Think about the burning bush, Mount Sinai, Manoah and his wife. Uh, These all happen in human history. God spoke and he spoke and he spoke again. He spoke to Samuel. He spoke to David. He spoke in the power of Sinai and the powerful soldier that appeared in Joshua 5 to Joshua to Elijah in a still small voice in 1 Kings 19. I know I'm going fast, but you can go back and listen to this if you want to write this down. Visions came to Ezekiel and Daniel. Sometimes these prophets like Isaiah were called to perform strange and even bizarre symbolic acts. Hosea was even called to marry a woman who would be unfaithful to him to speak of God's love for his people. R. Kent Hughes says these words, Through God's cosmic and prophetic eloquence, men and women rose to live life on the highest plane. Abraham achieved the faith to offer his own son. Moses withstood the Pharaoh with mighty miracles. David slew Goliath. Daniel achieved and maintained massive integrity in Babylon. But in all of this, as grand as it was, it was nevertheless fragmentary and still lacking. Close quote. You've been listening to God Has Spoken to Us, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. As always, if you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. And would you please do us a favor and encourage a friend or a family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this station? The same if you're listening on podcast, please click the share button. If Pastor Michael's teachings have been a blessing to you, then our hope is they'll do the same for someone you care about. Thanks so much for spreading the word about walk in truth. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, maybe you have that Christian friend that says, you know, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. God spoke to me. And you're like, he speaks to you. Uh, Why don't I ever hear his voice? And how does he speak today? And, you know, there's a big debate about such things in different circles, you know, Pentecostal, charismatic, you know, maybe circles that are called cessationists that don't believe that that really happens anymore in that way. How does God speak? Well, here's what we do know, and this is really what we've been studying. God has spoken in these last days in his own son. Jesus Christ is God's final word in this sense that everything we need related to life and godliness is found in the scriptures and in the record of not only what Jesus said, but what the Holy Spirit led the other writers of scripture to write. All scripture is God breathed, breathed out by God, and Jesus is God, and profitable. Yes, profitable. So if you're wondering, well, why don't I ever hear God's voice? I'll tell you this. The way that I have experienced God speaking to me, I'll put that in quotes, is scriptures that jump off the page. Sometimes I feel like I get holy nudges, and I don't know if I can always explain what that looks like. I've really, there's been times I've just sensed that the Lord has either nudged me or let a scripture fly off the page to answer something I was praying about. You know, I'm always cautiously open to the way that the Lord might speak to me. Uh, I know he can use other people at times as well, other pastors, sermons, Bible studies, 
sometimes people praying and the Lord, I'll feel like the Lord has maybe revealed something to me, but we got to be careful, of course. But the main way that God speaks is through the word of God. That's why it's called the word of God. He has spoken. And so whenever you have a doubt about, well, am I doing something wrong? No. Some people might be a little bit more, um, oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're a little bit more sensitive or maybe God works in their life that way. Look, there can be differences. and But the bottom line is go to your Bible. That, that's a sure way to know that God has spoken to you. And uh, you can hear his voice anytime you decide to crack it open. This is Pastor Michael Lance. And speaking of God's word, well, that's what we do right here on Walk in Truth. Teach through books of the Bible. We just finished the Song of Solomon. We're launching out into the majestic book of Hebrews. So glad you're listening, whether it's by radio or podcast. Hey, keep this in prayer. Ask the Lord to use it. Support us if you can. You can find out more about the ministry and how to donate to it. When you go to walkintruth.com, click on that donate button, walkintruth.com, click on the donate button. So grateful for all of you. God bless you, and we'll see you tomorrow. And remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. If you're a longtime listener, would you please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner? Your contribution helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast and with the behind-the-scenes work for this ministry. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner for $5 a month and visit walkintruth.com to give. That's walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, called God Has Spoken to Us. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.